Well, good morning, Zion. Good morning, good morning. What a joy to be here. What a joy to be back here with you again. I think we we're just trying to work out earlier when I was last here, and I think it's been like five years. It was definitely BC, <laughs> before COVID. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Mary. I love you guys. Don't you love these guys? I just, I so treasure the friendship that I have with you and, you know, everywhere I go, I stay in hotels, but man, I don't like staying in hotels when I come here. I want to stay in your house. We can play table tennis and eat steak. Gosh, how many games did we have last night? 11, we had 11 sets, right? Yeah, 11 sets and... uh He's, he's, too humble to, he's too humble to tell you, but he actually bet me. We're four sets each, and I think six, five, was it? Oh. Okay, he's not humble. <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> yes, I found out he took up table tennis, and uh, I used to be the Auckland B-Grades double champ. Uh, in New Zealand, and uh, but I haven't I haven't played competitive at that level for probably 20, 28 years, and uh, so I've uh, and he's just picked it up. So I've been telling him I've been practicing all year, and I haven't I haven't picked up a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another week, man. I'm gonna whip you. <laughs> I was starting to get into my stride there. Yeah. Well, bless you guys. It really is good to be here. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, as a, as a family, uh, we, we, uh, made, we've been here for 16 years and living in California. And, uh, and about, uh, about just over, probably over about three years ago, two years ago, we felt like the Lord was beginning to, to shake the dirt off our roots and beginning to send us on a new journey. And it wasn't, you know, I'm like, God, I... I like adventures, but I don't think I like the adventure that you're talking about. And I feel like God is beginning to tell us about going back to New Zealand. And uh, we're like, God, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. I'm quite happy with what I'm doing. I'm quite enjoying life. We've just become American citizens. And uh, so I'm a dual, a dual citizen now. And uh, so we, I actually went and saw Pastor Bill Johnson and expressed my heart to Pastor Bill because Bethel was going through a lot of changes. And I said to Pastor Bill, I said, you know, I... I came here for you. I came here for revival. I came here for the gospel. I only have one narrative for my life, and it's the gospel. It's the narrative of the gospel. I'm not interested in any other false narrative that's going on in politics today. It's one narrative, and that's the gospel. And uh, and I said, I said, I know that there's rumors out there that I'm leaving, and I said those rumors are all false. I'm here. I'm going to die here. I'm here to serve you. I'm going to retire here. I'm never leaving. And he just thanked me. And said, let's talk again in six weeks. And over that six-week period, the Lord began to speak to us so profoundly about leaving, about the day after I left his office. And uh, I went to bed one night, and I had a dream. And in the dream, the Lord said to me, I need you to go on a journey from A to B. Now, we all know where A is, right? It's where we are, but B's the mystery. And he said, I need you to go to B. And I said, God, I don't want to go to B. I'm happy at A. And he said, but I need you to go to B. And I said, God, I don't want to go to B. And he said, why don't you want to go to B? And I said, because I'm really tired. 
I said, the road to B is dark, it's windy. And I said, you're sending me on a motorcycle and I don't like them. That, that piece, I think, was too much cheese. <laughs> and, uh, but, I said, but I said, God, I said, I am a son and I'll go where you ask me to go. And, uh, and he said, thank you. So I got on my motorcycle and I went from A to B on this dark and windy road. And because I was tired, I fell asleep on my motorcycle and I woke up halfway in the dream, not physically. I woke up halfway in the dream on the motorcycle asleep. And I said, God, I said, if I haven't fallen asleep on a dark and windy road, uh, sorry, if I haven't crashed on a dark and windy road while asleep on a motorcycle, then I guess you're steering my motorcycle in the season. And an audible voice, he said, I'm steering your motorcycle in the season. You learn to rest. And I said, God, if you're steering my motorcycle, I'm going back to sleep. And I started my motorcycle up, got back on, fell asleep, and I woke up in New Zealand. And uh, I woke up in the morning, and I said to my wife, I had a crazy dream last night, and told her the dream. I said, I, I don't think it means anything. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, do you have no discernment at all? Like, I mean, that's pretty clear to me what, what, is, what is about to happen. And, uh, and I think it was that morning or the following morning, my wife, had, uh, my wife was at the gym. My, my wife works out every day. I sit on the bed. <laughs> I'm sitting on the bed, and I had my daughter with me. And my daughter, for many of you know the story, it's, uh, she's, she's nonverbal. She makes a lot of noise, but she doesn't speak English. And, uh, and she's just sitting there, and she's just kind of talking in her own little language, just chatting away. And I have this voice drop into my head, and the voice in my head said, have Siri dictate her. And I, I'm, I mean, I've never thought of that. So I just pulled out my phone and I recorded um, Charlotte, my daughter, talking. And uh, the thing spun around, you know, where it dictates. And the first line says, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And I'm like, oh, oh, Siri's got my attention. And I pulled it up again and, dicta and di she said something else and, and it dictated and it says, can I go home? And I tell you, I just about fell off the bed. I mean, I have so much hope and expectation now that Siri can be saved. <laughs> and so six weeks later, I'm in Bill's office telling Pastor Bill Johnson what had happened. And I just said to him, as a father, I'm coming to you as a father of my life. I'm not telling you I'm resigning. I'm telling you what would you do if, if that was you? And he said, I know what I'd be doing. And I said, well, on that, here's my resignation. I said, I'll give you six months. I'll work my way out of here in six months. And so we returned back to New Zealand on the 2nd of February, uh, 2022. And uh, we've been back now for obviously just on 18 months and trying to find our way in life and, you know, just rebirthing things and restarting things. It's just a completely different pace of trying to travel a little less and uh, really focusing on our country, our country is in, is in dire straits. I mean, it is just a mess. It is in a mess politically. It is in a mess health-wise. It is in a, a just complete mess economically. And, uh, and it just needs Jesus. And we just, we're there, to, we really do believe that there's going to be a mighty outpouring of God's healing grace in our nation. And just, just a couple of weeks ago, I found out that in 1986, John Wimber came. Uh, to New Zealand, and when John Wimber was in New Zealand, he prophesied, uh, but he prophesied before he left that there's going to be a worldwide healing revival that's going to start in New Zealand, 
And, and he prophesied that it, but it would not start until the hospitals in this country are so overwhelmed that the ambulances can no longer unload the people from the ambulances to the hospital. And as I got on the plane to fly out to the States on Wednesday, Tuesday, I got a, a news push on my phone saying the hospitals, the ambulances are loaded at the hospitals and they cannot unload the patients and it's only getting worse. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> Yes. And Wigglesworth visited our country in 1922 and 1926, and five denominations were birthed out of Wigglesworth's visit in 1922. And he had a prophetic word for our nation in 1922 that there's about to be an out, unstoppable healing move in our nation. And he said, but I won't be around to see it because it's going to be 100 years from now, which is now. I tell you, we're, we're in a Kairos moment of a of a now word. And I just believe that God is positioning us in this season to for what is, for what is about to happen. So I, I actually, when we got there, I'll keep these details short, but it was, a, it was a dark few months because we went there and God said, don't do anything for three months. So we did nothing for three months. I, I cut the grass three times a week. I mean, didn't need cutting. I just needed something to do. So I just cut the grass three times a week. And, uh, and, and um, a, a workman came into my house. Hey, David, Sarah. Uh, a workman came into my house, and when the workman is in my house, he said, uh, on the seventh day of the job, it was a pretty significant uh, uh, job, the, f the floor all got ripped out. The subfloor had to be ripped out of this brand new home. And he walks in and he says to me, uh, you know, the Lord gave me a message last night to give you. And it was so dark, I didn't want to hear it. I mean, I'm just like, you know, it was, it was just, it was, it was a confusing three months. And he said, the Lord said to tell you that if revival is not your responsibility in this nation, then whose is it? And I, I, I yes, I do take it as a personal word, but it's, a, it's an our word. And I just refuse to push revival off to a coming generation. I, we just decided many years ago that we're going to have revival. We are revival. And whether anyone joins me or not, I'm just having it. I'm just, ha just ha having revival. Amen? And uh, so, so then uh, I, w I was walking through my house that next day. I got a, a lovely little location for a house. I overlooked the Pacific Ocean. It's, and over, I see the sun rising up over our islands. And I'm looking, I'm walking through my hallway and I'm just praying one morning. And I'm, I'm, it was actually that afternoon after the Tyler man had left, the floor man had left. And I'm just walking through the house and I'm praying. And I said, God, I said, you, you told us to come here and we're here. We've done nothing like you said to do. Do nothing for three months. Three months is up. And the Lord says, it's time to release the healers in this nation. And in, in my dark little place, I said, you know, my little self-pity party, I said, God, I don't know any healers in this nation. This nation's dry. This nation's dead. I said, I don't know anyone that's even interested in healing. And he put, one, he put two names on my heart, and he said, reach out to them, and I want you to be a father to them. And I reached out to them both. One replied, one I never heard from, but the one that replied, I said, listen, if you've got friends, uh, let's just, if we could raise 10 or 12 people, I reckon we could take this nation this year. I said, if we can raise 10 or 12 people and I'm going to bring them into my house, you can invite them, but I need to know who's coming to make sure we don't get any bigger than 10. Just have them email me. And then I had 2,600 people email me off that. And so I, I got a little problem right now. I'm just like, 
<laughs> I got an army that's just biting at the bit to see revival, to see healing revival of just trying to trying to work out how to how to steward it. We've been seeing some some great things. I want to share a couple of testimonies with you, and then I want to share a shorter word with you, and then we're going to minister to the sick. You know, the last uh, the last season is. Uh, you know, I've just in Switzerland just a couple of months ago. I love the country of Switzerland. Any Swiss here? I've been 14 times to Switzerland, and I'm, I'm going again soon. I'm, I'm off to Europe tonight, actually. I'm going to Spain tonight, so I'm going to be close. <laughs> Got some great Swiss friends that are going to meet me in uh, Spain. I'm Actually, he's got cancer. I'm flying over just to spend some time with him to minister to him and then fly out again onto Singapore. But when I was in uh, uh, Switzerland, um, a, uh, a lady, a lady came up to me and she said to me, "You know, it's a lady I'm familiar with. Her name is Beverly." And Beverly came up to me and she said, "Chris, you know, I mean, I know her story, but in 2015, uh, Beverly came to a healing conference that I was at in United Kingdom, and Beverly had uh, a post-traumatic stress disorder, disassociative identity disorder, body morphic disorder, anorexia nervosa, and she'd been a victim of satanic ritual abuse." And uh, she and she has also had multiple suicide attempts on her life, and this is, uh, I'll keep the shortest the story short because of because of time. Um, but Beverly came that night in 2015, and with a 30 second prayer, she was entirely and completely healed of every single every single issue in her life. And Beverly Beverly today is a trained psychotherapist. And she runs a ministry for young ladies with anorexia nervosa and disassociate identity disorder and sees them, sees them healed all the time. We're liaising all the time. She just reached out to me yesterday about a lady that's been a, uh, a victim of satanic ritual abuse, which I'm going to minister to tomorrow when I get to Spain on video conference. And, uh, but Beverly came to me and she said, you know, Chris, there's, there's something, because I actually, uh, I'm, I over the last couple, I've just released a brand new book. It's called uh, Positioned to, Re to, maintain, uh, to Receive and Maintain Your Miracle. And Beverly's story in full is in here. And I actually took the manuscript uh, to Switzerland to meet with Beverly to make sure that the story was um, accurately recorded. You know, that it wasn't fabricated. It was as it was. Obviously, I have my perspective. She has hers. And we put those perspectives together to come up with the manuscript. And she, she read it and she said, Chris, there's something that you've, there's something that I, I obviously have not ever told you that needs to be included in the book. And she said, you know, the day that you prayed for me uh, that evening, it was a Friday night in Reading, United Kingdom. Uh, she said, the night you prayed for me, I never felt a thing. And I said, that's awesome because neither did I. And she said, but I made a resolve in my heart that night after I was prayed for that I'm going to live a life of thanksgiving. I tell that song this morning, I thank you, I thank you. I was, just, I was just weeping. I'm just, I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for everything he's done in my life and everything he does, he does through me. And she said, I left that meeting that night and I decided that I need to give thanks. I'm going to thank my way into the miracle. And she said, I just gave him thanks. I thanked him. I thanked him. I thanked him. Every time a, the suicide voice would come, I'd thank him. I thanked him. I thanked him. I thanked him for the victory of the cross. I thanked him. And she said, on the third day, I'm sitting on the edge of my bed, 
just giving thanks, sitting there thanking him, thanking him, thanking him. And she said, I felt like an electrical current hit the back of my head. It shot in the back of my head and shot out the front. And like that, she was healed of them all. Gone. And uh, so she came, to, she came to Switzerland and uh, she wanted prayer. She, she needed to have a, um, a, um, a pain stimulator pack installed in her back. And they cable tie it to your spine and they plug it into your brain. You can electrocute yourself in the brain when your pain gets too much on your back and it deflects the pain somewhere else. And uh, so we prayed for that. And she got healed that night of that. That operation was canceled. She also bought a, a prayer cloth to the meeting of the healing rooms director of the United Kingdom who has advanced stage prostate cancer. And he had just a few weeks to live. And we prayed over that cloth during worship. We healed the whole of worship gave it back and they took it home and they laid it on him and uh, he goes back to the doctor and his PSA dropped to 0.1 and the doctors the doctors don't like to say you're cancer free but the doctor said I don't know what you've done but uh, what I suggest is for the next two years every three months we'll just monitor it by taking bloods and see how you go and uh, so he, he he is alive so so Beverly Beverly's story is in here that uh, that book is out there and uh, that is my that is the very latest. It's just come out about two two weeks ago. And then over co- over COVID, I wrote another one called Apprehended Identity: Taking Back What the Church Stole. Oh, I'm sorry, taking back what was stolen. Uh, I was going to call it that, and I thought no church would ever have me come. So then I was going to call it Taking Back What the Devil Stole, and I'm like, why would you want to put the devil in, on? on the cover of your book, let alone in your book, you know. So I just called it Taking Back What Was Stolen. So that is out there. And uh, there's some remarkable testimonies in here as well that we, that we, may, we may get to. So it's been a, it's been a crazy season. Of, there's a, a, um, a gentleman in New Zealand. He's a very well-known doctor. And uh, he has uh, bowel cancer. And he was given just a couple months to live. And uh, a doctor friend of mine called me to tell me about their doctor friend. And he's now become my friend, and I got in my car, and I drove three and a half hours just to go and see him. And uh, his blood cancer numbers were 300. For a healthy person, they should be under three. His is 300. And uh, we just spent uh, 20 minutes with him. He, he said to me afterwards, he said, everything that you taught me this morning, everything contradicts everything the church has ever taught me on healing. Everything. He goes back to the doctor the next day, and his, his cancer blood count drops to 33 in a, in a day. And uh, so I get back in my car, and I drive back down there again, and we spend some more time together. It drops to 19. It dropped to 12. And uh, now the doctors have kind of dismissed him and said, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but just keep doing, keep doing whatever you're doing. So, so it's, been a, it's been super fun. We really have been seeing... Um, some breakthroughs, but my favorite one was just about about a month ago. I was on one of our islands. We have a number of islands, and one of the islands is called Great Barrier Island. And Great Barrier Island is where you go if you want to grow marijuana <laughs> illegally. <laughs> it's illegal in New Zealand, and uh, it's it's just full of potheads. You know, it's just <laughs> it's just drugs everywhere, and just kind of they're an alternative kind of a people. You know. Hope they're not watching. <laughs> they really are an alternative kind of backward people. And um, so I went to this. I went to this island where I was invited to do a spiritual discipleship three-month course. 
And uh, so that you come for a block course, and I just go and do one week on the supernatural and identity and fly out. And there's this young lady in the island, and her name is uh, Alex. And Alex is uh, 26, and she's been in a relationship with a boyfriend for 10 years, and it's been an abusive relationship that whole 10 years. And Alex doesn't know the Lord. She's never been in church. And Alex finally gets the courage to walk out on a boyfriend at the age of 26, and now she's homeless. And uh, Alex walks into the community that I was ministering at and said, is there any way that uh, you could put me up for, for the night because I'm now homeless? And they said, of course, come in. And they said, tomorrow we're starting a spiritual discipleship course. Why don't you just join in? She didn't know what spiritual discipleship was, let alone who Jesus was. So she just joined in the spiritual discipleship course. And I come in at week five on the supernatural and I see Alex sitting there, and I see her countenance kind of lighting up, and things are changing. I don't know her story. I know nothing about her, but I can see she's a little oppressed at the start, and she's getting lighter and lighter, and her head's lifting up, and she's beginning to be filled with joy. And then on the Thursday night, they have a community dinner, and at the community dinner, they just invite the neighbors to come for dinner, and anyone can come, and they have like 10, 15 visitors that will come for dinner. And they bring this man to me, and his name's Nathan. And they said, Chris, this is Nathan. And Nathan is 100% stone deaf in one ear from COVID. Would you pray for him? And I said, no, I won't. And they looked at me and said, why won't you? And I said, because Alex is going to minister to him. And I said, Alex, come over here. And Alex walks over, and she said, yes, Chris. And I said, this is Nathan, and he's completely deaf in one ear. Heal him, please. And she said, me? And I said, you've been in my class all week, haven't you? And she said, yes. And I said, I'll get it done. She goes, okay. <laughs> I tell you, there, there is something fresh about believers that, new believers that haven't had religion pumped into them. She just lifts her hand up and she prays this most simplistic prayer that almost went against everything I believe. I mean, for a start, she asked God to come and do it. I mean, I just taught them there's nowhere in Scripture that Jesus asks the Father to come and heal someone. Jesus just did it. I said, so we don't need to pray, God, would you come? I said, we do it because we're at one with God. We're at one with John 17. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I am in you. And I said, there's, incidentally, do you know there's nowhere in Scripture that Jesus actually taught on healing? He just did it, and he said, go do the same. And uh, so Alex lifts her hand up, and she says, Father, would you come and heal him? And I'm about to stop her to say, that's not what I taught you. <laughs> and the Lord said to me, so, so straight, he said, just stand back and watch. He said, don't you dare interrupt her, because that's the childlike, simple prayer that I'm looking for. This is the prayer of faith. And I, I stood back and I thought, oh, I, 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 dare not, I dare not touch this. And she, Father, would you be so merciful to use me? Bang, the ear opens just like that. And, and she, she's just completely freaked out. I mean, she's just, she's running around telling everybody, did you see that? Did you see that? And I, I mean, I'm just, I'm blessed to, you know, I mean, I got a new healing evangelist on the loose in Great Barrier Island. Um, she, turned, she turned to another homeless man there and said, you and I, that's our destiny. We're going to rip this island up for Jesus. And so I, I turned to 
I turned to find Alex. I wanted to talk to Alex about what had just happened. And, and I said, where's Alex? She's gone. And they're like, she just popped outside for a cigarette. I just love that. I just love it. You know, I put that on Facebook and just got crucified over it. I'm like, I delete, had to delete comments. I'm just like, whatever. I mean, one lady put on Facebook, you know, no one, I would never let anybody, anybody ever pray for me that suffered from any addiction whatsoever. And I, I replied and said, well, isn't it a good job? Nathan didn't think like that. Otherwise, he would have missed his miracle. I feel like saying... I feel like saying, uh, uh, just, because, just because she has chains, it doesn't mean you don't. They just look different. And uh, so, yeah, Alex is uh, my little healing. And just yesterday, she got baptized. I just found out she got baptized in water yesterday. All right, let's, let's jump in here. I, you know, I, there's, I, I've been in the season of, uh, I've been in the season of, um, really going into healing afresh of like really trying to study it a little a little deeper to to you know my heart is for healing that's all I'm really about is wanting to see people healed but I'm also really about wanting to see long-term fruit you know I want to see fruit that remains not not just not just short-term fruit I mean I'm not it's great that you go and heal someone I want to see you healing people in 10 years store, in 15 years store, in 20 years store. We, we have some grit. We, we just keep on going for it. Even when we get knocked down, we get up again and we, we go again. I mean, that's, that's what I'm after is to see believers walk in that place of freedom, of, of really understanding who they are and whose they are, that our identity is not in what we do, right or wrong, but our identity is in who he says that we are. And it's in that place that we begin to walk in freedom. Now, most believers, I know that we could talk to most believers and say, well, we're a new covenant people. We're a new covenant people. And everybody would say, yes, yes, you know, we're, we're a new covenant people. But yet the reality is, is that many of us still live with an old covenant mindset. And we wonder why we're not seeing fruit that remains. Because we're, we're living under the bondage of performance. We're living under the bondage of the law. But yet we're not under the law. We're under, we're under grace. We are in a new covenant. And the Bible, the Bible says in Hebrews 8, 7, it says, If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no place for a second. In Hebrews 8, 13, it says, A new covenant that he has made the first obsolete, now becoming obsolete and growing old, ready to vanish away. And in Matthew 5, 17, it says, Jesus came to fulfill the requirements of the law. And in Luke 16, 16, it says, the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Now, it's interesting because the law has its purpose. The law, the purpose of the law is, is that, I was just reading this this morning actually, he gave us the law for one purpose, that we would have a knowledge of sin and recognize our need for a savior. That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to bring us to an end of ourselves, realizing that we need a savior and his name is Jesus. But yet most believers still think that they live under the law. 
It's interesting when when I preach against the law and I preach grace and I and I preach the message of Christ and I preach the message of the kingdom. I I have my enemies. Trust me, there are my enemies out there, and they come at me at all sorts of different angles. And they come up to me after service and they say, they say, well, you know, what are you saying here? Like, are you saying the Ten Commandments are not important? Are you saying that the Ten Commandments are not important, that we must obey the Ten Commandments? And my, my, I say, well, I'll answer that if you answer me a question. Here's my question to you. Can you tell me all ten in order? Do you know I've never found a person that knows all ten in order? Anybody here know all ten in order? <laughs> my point. And if you know all ten in order... And you think that the law is so important that you must abide by the law in order that you see breakthrough, then please don't stop at 10. You must abide by all 613 laws. And if any of you prepared any food yesterday, if any of you cleared your email yesterday, any of you checked a text message yesterday, I'm sorry, today's not for you because you missed your miracle. See, the purpose of the law was to bring us to an end of ourselves. And as believers, we're not under the law. We are under Christ. We are under, we are under grace. You know, a, couple of, uh, a number of years ago when I was living in Reading, I, uh, I, I love history. I mean, I just so love history. My first trip to Switzerland, uh, I went to Zurich in 2009. And uh, I, um, I am not a fan of can- cancel culture. I know that's politically incorrect. I do not cancel anything of my past. I love everything of the past to be able to look back because that's how I grow, to see how we got somewhere. And uh, so I'm in Zurich, and I went to Zwingli's Cathedral, and Zwingli's Cathedral is where the Reformation of the Catholic Church took place in 1519. And I walked into that church that day in Zurich. Anyone ever been there? It's an incredible building. Zwingli is just a hero of mine. Um, He walked into that room. He took over that church. He split the Catholic church in two, and he ripped the gold off the walls, and he melted it down and sold it to get cash to feed the poor. I mean, he's and and the church split. The Catholic church split in 1519 over transubstantiation. And uh, Zwingli was the the reformer for that. And I walked into that church and I said to the the caretaker of the building, is there any way I could walk into uh, the preacher's spiral? And he said, absolutely not. He said, you're not allowed up there. That is for the preacher only. And I said, I'm a preacher. And he said, not at this church, you're not. (laughs) And I said, please, can I go up there? And he said, absolutely not. He says, you know, don't ask again. Uh, I, I, I kind of pushed the, pushed the line. You know, I asked him, I asked him one more time. And uh, he said, no, you can't. He said, but I'll tell you what I will do. He said, there's a room out the back that is not open to the public where Zwingli translated the Bible into German with his disciples and took communion. And he said, I'm going to let you in that room on one condition. I lock you in that room. He said, I need to lock you and your interns in there. I'll give you 30 minutes. I, I, I have to lock it because I can't allow other people to come in. And I walked into that room. There's this door about this thick. The door creaks and jams into place. He locks it, locks me in there. And I'm sitting at Zwingli's table where he translated the Bible with his disciples into German. And Zwingli's Bible is right there from 1519. I got to flick through. It was all in German. I didn't understand a word of it. 
But I, I, I got to read his Bible, flick the pages. They had the communion chalices, chalices at the table from 1519. I mean, I sat there, my, my interns and I, we sat there and pretend to drink communion, sitting and reading Zwingli's Bible at, around this big table in this private room. See, that was one adventure that God took me on. But I want to tell you about another adventure that happened here in the United States. There was a great healing evangelist, and his name is uh, um, John Alexander Dowie. And John Alexander Dowie lived from 1947 to 1907, and he was Australian. Actually, he was Australian-born, and he moved to the United States. And uh, he birthed a healing ministry, a very, very powerful healing ministry, and he birthed a city called Zion, Illinois. And a number of years ago, I went to Zion, Illinois with a pastor friend from Chicago, and I made an appointment to see uh, uh, John Alexander Dowie's home, his healing home, where he was known to effectively get everybody healed that went through. There were very little people that didn't get healed. Two weeks, he'd get them healed, and he'd keep them for two more weeks, and he'd teach them on how to steward their healing, and he'd release them. You'd be in and out in a month healed. And so I went to the home. I had an appointment. I get to the gardens of the house. It's, a, it's quite, a, quite an extraordinary house. And I'm standing there, and I said, my friend said, well, don't we have an appointment? And I said, yes. And he said, the place looks shut down. He said, there's nobody here. And I said, there better be. I've come all this way to see this. And, this, and he goes, Chris, he said, there's nobody here. And he said, I didn't come all this way not to go in. He said, let's break in. I was actually going through my naturalization to American at that point. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to get deported. <laughs> I'll never be allowed back in. And he said, no, let's break in. And I said, oh, I don't know about that. It's kind of, I'm not sure about that. And, and something caught my attention to my left. And I turned to my left and I turned back. And all as I see is his feet going through the window. And he's inside. John Alexander Dowie's home. And then he's like, I'll just unlock the door for you and let's go for it. Now, all my morals inside are like, <laughs> I don't know about this. Like, and poof, beside me appears a man. I, don't, I didn't see him coming. He just, this man is beside me. He goes, can I help you? And suddenly my friend disappears. I, I see him inside. He's, he, he's gone. And I said, I've got an appointment to see this home. And he said, well, I'm sorry, but this closed today. He said, there's no way that you can get into that home. And I said, but I got an appointment. And he said, who is that appointment with? And I told him, and he said, that man's out of state all week. Really sorry, we can't help you. Now I'm thinking, as soon as you're gone, I'm breaking in. <laughs> and he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll let you in the home on one condition. I need to lock you in the home. He said, how long do you want? And I said, can I have three hours? And he said, I'll lock you in for three hours. I'll come back and let you out. And he unlocks the door, puts me into the home, locks the door and says, I'll see you in three hours. And my friend comes out of the closet. <laughs> Sounds really bad, right? My pastor friend came out of the closet. <laughs> and I went straight to Dowie's office. I went straight to uh, John Alexander Dowie's office. I sat in his office chair in his office, and John Alexander Dowie's preaching Bible was sitting right there. And I got to read his Bible. I got to read his study notes, his little indents, his personal written notes that he wrote in his Bible. I went through. He used to produce, I think it was called Leaves for the Nations, 
a newsletter. They were all there. Every version is there. I went through all his study notes in his, in his bookshelf. I mean, I just spent hours, hours in his office. What am I looking for? I'm looking for a greater revelation on how he got people healed so fast. I, I truly believe that we're coming into this place of an extraordinary, extraordinary move of God over our nation. When I say nation, I'm dual citizen, right? So New Zealand, America is over our, over our nation. This is my nation too. I'm an American. And uh, so I'm sitting in there and my friend, had, my friend had gone. I don't know where he was. So I got out of uh, the chest, the desk. I went to find him and my friend's laying in his bathtub. I'm like, he, it's all right. He wasn't naked in water. He was just laying in the bathtub in his clothes. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just relaxing. I'm like, dude, you relax. I'm in the office. You catch me in the office. Go back. I go back to the office and study. I, I made a discovery, and it was one of the reasons why I went to Dowie's home, is that there was a woman called Dr. Lillian Yeoman. And Dr. Lillian Yeoman was a physician in Chicago Hospital. And uh, Dr. Lillian Yeoman lived from uh, 1861 to 1942. And Dr. Lillian Yeoman uh, began to steal patients' drugs. And she became so addicted to drugs that her, she was literally skin on bone. And she had blood coming out of every exit in her body, blood coming out of her eyes, her ears, I mean, her nose, her mouth, she's just always bleeding. <clears throat> the doctors became so concerned for her that if they took her off the medication that she was stealing, they said that that would instantly kill her because her body wouldn't be able to handle the withdrawals. And Dr. Lillian Yeoman went to John Alexander Dowie's ministry, and uh, she was completely healed, like completely healed. In, in a month. She was released from there in a month. And Dr. Lillian Yeoman uh, then birthed her own healing ministry. And she spent most a lot of time in Alaska of, uh, ministering to the villages of the Eskimos and going from village to village, just getting everybody healed. Dr. Lillian Yeoman then moved to uh, Manhattan Beach, Los Angeles. And I've been to that house as well. I wasn't able to get into that house, but I tried. And, uh, and I, and, but Dr. Lillian Yeoman had an incredible revelation of healing. I mean, she just had such an incredible revelation of healing that she got all of, to go to her healing home, you had to have a letter from the doctor. And the letter from the doctor says, had to say you're terminal. You could not go there because you had a sore finger. I mean, you had to go there because you were going to die. And tuberculosis was the number one killer in the day. I think it was the number two killer. And uh, so you had to have a letter from the doctor to say, you, you know, you're, you're about to pass away and there is no hope that medical society can do nothing for you. It is only then that you can see Dr. Lillian Yeoman. Dr. Lillian Yeoman was known to have got everybody healed in three days. There were very, very few cases of people that, went, that, that passed away under the care of Dr. Lillian Yeoman. That's what I'm after. That's what I was after in looking for the revelation in Dowie's office as to Lillian Yeoman. In Dowie's office, I found the baptism certificate. I mean, I went through everything of his. I found the baptism certificate of Lillian Yeoman in his office, in his drawer. I, I mean, I mean, I just I went I went through everything. See, I'm looking for the revelation. I need I need a greater revelation. And it was it was a simple profound revelation how Dr. Lillian got them healed. And this is what it was. 
she would bring her clients in and she would say to them, I'm only going to teach two verses. That's all you're going to learn while you're going to be here and you'll be out of here in three days, but you need to get these two verses in your heart. And she would say to them, I want you to read Deuteronomy 28.61. Now, if you're all feeling a little discouraged, don't read it. In fact, don't read Deuteronomy 28. <laughs> it's kind of a little, it's a little, it's a little bit of a dark passage. It's, uh, but Deuteronomy 28.61 clearly says that sickness is a curse of the law. Right? Now, there's two parts to Deuteronomy 28. There's verse 1 to 15. And there's 16 to 60, 68. Now, the first part from Deuteronomy 1 to 15, it says the blessings of obedience. And the second part is the curses of disobedience. Now, I just want to make a couple of distinctions here. Both parts are still the law. The blessings of obedience is still the law. I'm not obedient to be blessed. I am obedient because I am blessed. It's all about obedience. Healing is all about obedience. The question is, whose? It's his obedience that we can receive healing. Please don't come to me and say, oh, so you're saying obedience is not important. No, that's not what I just said. I said, when I have Christ as the center of my life, obedience becomes the byproduct I am going to be obedient, but I'm not going to be obedient to be blessed because I am blessed. If I'm being obedient to be blessed, that sounds like performance. I'm not performing for the blessings of the Lord. When I put Jesus at the center, I'll be obedient. I'll go anywhere he tells me to go, including destination B. I'll go anywhere, any, anything he tells me to do, I'll do because I, I, I'm a son. I live in that place. There is an importance of obedience. See, the second part of that scripture is 16 to 68, which is the, the curses of disobedience. And it is dark. I mean, it is like you do not want to read it when you're feeling down. You know, it's like if you're disobedient, a man's going to steal your wife and he's going to go lay with her. And your body's going to get mildew and body parts are going to drop off. I mean, it's just like, whoa, this is kind of like heavy stuff. And every, every sickness that came upon the Egyptians, he's going to put upon you and you're going to rot. I mean, it's just like, wow, this is kind of like heavy stuff, you know? And But she'd say to her patients, you're going to read that one verse, Deuteronomy 28, 61, and you get it into your heart until you understand it, the sickness is a curse of the law. And she said, and when you've got that, we're going to learn one other verse. And she'd turn to, that, she'd turn to the one other verse when they learned that, and she would say to them, you're going to learn the other verse now. And she, she would say, you're going to turn your Bibles with me to Galatians 3.13, because in Galatians 3.13, it says that he, Jesus, became the curse of the law. He absorbed the curse of the law that you are no longer cursed. I just reading it this morning in the message. It says, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed that everybody that hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is clear. And you can now see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, His Spirit in with us by believing just the way that Abraham 
received it. And so Dr. Lillian would say, you're going to repeat that verse, and you're going to get that verse into your heart, and I'm not interested in how you're doing. All as I'm interested in is Galatians 3.13, become a part of your heart. How many times have you repeated that? This woman sounded like a bit of a hard case. I mean, I wouldn't want her to be my school teacher. I mean, she was like, she was pretty strict. And uh, she'd say, have you? Is it on your lips? Is Galatians 3.13 on your lips? Has it been on your lips all day, every day? How many times have you said it? Is it gone from your lips? Is it in your heart? Is it, are you repeating it? Are you meditating on it? And one day she went to one of her patients and she said to one of her patients, she said, uh, walked up to the patient and she said, have you declared Galatians 3.13? How many times have you said it today? And the patient said, But Dr. Lillian, you haven't even asked me how I am. And she says, that's not about how you feel you are. Have you declared Galatians 3.13? Is it in your heart? And she would drum that passage into her clients like it was crazy. She's got an incredible book. It's called His Healing Power. It's an incredible book of the life of Dr. Lillian Yeoman. She would just drum that in. She would push that in and, uh, because she wanted them to know that you're not under the curse because sickness is a curse of the law, but Jesus has redeemed you from the curse of the law. And because you've been redeemed from the curse of the law, she would tell her clients, therefore, you're no longer sick. Get it in you, she'd say. Get it in you. And, and one day... Uh, or Dr. Lillian was, and her sister Amelia were not really known to have slept. They really didn't sleep very much. And they would prepare all the meals for the guests during the day. They would provide breakfast, lunch, and dinner and cook for them. And then at nighttime when the guests slept, they went room to room, praying over the guests all night, every night, declaring, you've been redeemed from the curse of the law. You're no longer sick because of Christ, because... Jesus has taken the curse of sickness upon himself. Therefore, you're not sick. And she'd go from person to person all night praying. And on the third day, she's in the kitchen one morning. And she hears this banging. And it was one of the guests coming down the stairway. And she thumbles into the kitchen. She bangs the door open. And she goes, Dr. Lillian, Dr. Lillian, Dr. Lillian, I've been healed. And Dr. Lillian said, I've been trying to tell you that for three days. (laughs) And the patient's discharged and the next four come in. See, that that was the life of Dr. Lillian. See, we're we're so, as believers, we spend more time trying to behave ourselves into a miracle. We think that we need to behave ourselves into a miracle because we have so had so much religion pushed at us that we as New Covenant believers think that we're still under the bondage of the law, that it's about how much you perform and it's about how much you behave. It's not. It's about how he performed and it's about how he behaved. It's about his merits. It's the price that he paid for. It's not the price that we paid for. And the sooner that we come back to that place of the simplicity of the power of the gospel, the sooner we will start to see extraordinary fruit flow through our lives. 
See, I, I believe, I truly do believe, I don't have time to teach this message, but I truly do believe that it should be the normal expression of the life of a believer to have answers to their prayers. The normal expression. It should be the expression of the life of the believer that when we pray the prayer of faith that people will get healed. Not might, will. What's he looking for? He's looking for a prayer of faith. He's looking for someone that would actually believe that he is who he says he is. He's, he's not looking for someone that feels goosebumps. He's looking for someone that would actually believe his word, that his word says that Jesus took your curse upon himself. He took your sickness upon himself. And he's looking for someone that would pray the simplistic prayer of faith and that would see people healed. See, there's, there's an interesting parallel in scripture and I saw that Jim commented wrote something on Facebook uh, a few months ago and I commented to it and uh, but there's an interesting parallel two stories in scripture which is found in Matthew 8 and Matthew 15 and and it's the two great stories it's the story of the Roman centurion and it's the story of the Syrophoenician woman now it's interesting that those two stories there's a parallel I love studying the scripture for contrasting words and parallel, parallel thoughts, similar thoughts. I mean, that's, I just love doing that. See, there's a similar thought in Matthew 15 and Matthew 8. It's actually the only two stories in scripture that Jesus acknowledges great faith. Right? He acknowledges faith all over the place. But it's the only two he acknowledges great faith, right? The Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman. So the common denominator is great faith. I, I, I want to go a little deeper. I'm like, I wonder if there's another common denominator. So I, I study deeper. This is what I discovered. The Syrophoenicians were known for their devil worshiping. The Roman Empire was known for their harshness against the Jewish regime. Kind of quite contradictory to where Jesus was at. When we go a little deeper, it's the only two that he acknowledges great faith on. But yet, what's the common denominator? Neither of them were Jews. Neither of them were Jews. Therefore... They weren't under the law, and they probably didn't even know the law. But yet, as believers, we put ourselves under the law, and we wonder why we miss out on the blessings of God, because we think it's about our obedience. There's an interesting passage to just back up what I'm saying here. And it's found in Galatians 3, verse 5, and it says this. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? See, I have such a passion that we as believers would put law in its rightful place because the law has been fulfilled. We are not under the law. I, I don't believe the law has been destroyed. It's there for a purpose, to bring us to Christ. 
But when we come to Christ, the law's no longer our tutor. Christ is. And the sooner that we come back to that beautiful place of putting Jesus back at the center, the sooner that we come back to that place of recognizing that we're a new covenant people and that we begin to align ourselves with the obedience of Christ, not our personal obedience, which I still believe is important. Remember what I said? I still believe in personal obedience. I'm obedient. I'm an obedient son. I'll go wherever he tells me to go. But healing is not about my obedience. It's about his obedience. It's about what he's done. It's about what he's paid for. It's about what he fulfilled at the cross. See, I would go as far as saying that as a church, we've got to put the cross, the cross back in the center of the church. The amount of churches that I get to visit that don't even talk about Jesus anymore. The amount of churches that I go to and I walk out with my wife. I'm being, I, I've just been very honest with you here. I don't go to a church in New Zealand because I haven't found one yet. I mean, I walk in and it's just like I walk out and I say to my wife, well, that was a TED Talk this morning. Could have dialed into YouTube to catch that on the TED channel. You don't even hear the name Jesus mentioned. I, I'm not interested in going to church unless I hear the name of Jesus talked about. I'm not interested in going to church unless I hear the gospel preached. I got no interest. We've got to put Jesus back at the center. We've got to return as a body back to the simplicity of faith. We as a body have got to return back to the simplicity of Christ. We as a, we as a body have got to return back to the simplicity of healing. And the only doubts that you should be doubting when it comes to healing is doubt your doubts. It's time we start date, date, dating. <laughs> it's time we start, we don't want to date, date our da da doubts. We want to doubt our doubts. It's time that we start doubting our doubts. And we come back to that beautiful place of the simplicity of the power of the gospel that when we pray for someone that they shall be healed. I, I want to close with this testimony and then we're going we're gonna to do some ministry here this morning. And I, I don't think I've shared this testimony here, but in 2018, Switzerland is my favorite country to visit, and, uh, but Japan is my fourth favorite. My easy, the easiest country to minister in, in the world, in my opinion, the easiest to see miracles is the United States of America. It's, it's, New Zealand is the most religious country in the world I've ever ministered in. It is so easy to see people healed here in the United States. I tell New Zealanders, Americans are spiritual. You're not. <laughs> They're just religious. <laughs> You'll see what they say about me. <laughs> and so Japan, I love going to Japan. It says in Mark 6 that Jesus couldn't do many miracles in Nazarene except where he laid hands on them. Therefore, I would propose to you that the laying on of hands was Jesus' secondary anointing. I, I believe that Jesus' primary anointing was oneness of the Father. I'm not against laying on hands. We're going to do it this morning. I really do believe that his primary anointing was oneness with the Father. And in John 17, he says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I am in you. See, we are one with him. 
And if we're one with him, what would it look like if we as a church, we as people became so saturated with Jesus that when we walk into a room that people got healed just because you walked in? Just because you walked in, not because you laid hands on them, not against that. Do it all day, every day. But we became so obsessed with Christ that you walk into a room and people get healed because you walked in. In 2018, uh, I have a very good pastor friend in Japan. His name is Pastor Isaac. It's not his real name. It's what I call him because I don't know how to say his name. And uh, <clears throat> Pastor Isaac has this incredible church. You'd love it, Jim. It's the most architecturally designed church I've ever seen in my life. It's phenomenal. He, 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 he invited the architect of the World Holocaust Museum to fly in just to design his church. The, he paid for it himself. It wasn't church money. But the architectural bill would be more than the construction of most churches in America. I mean, it, it, it is phenomenal. I've never seen a church like it. And uh, so Pastor Isaac, one night, he said, I'd be ministering all day. And Pastor Isaac said, I'm taking you to a very special treat tonight. You get in my car. We drive across Tokyo after the service. It was very late at night. And we drove to this very exclusive steakhouse. I mean, it was, it was ritzy. I mean, it was really, really flash. I knew I was in for a treat when I saw the name upon it. It was a name I'm familiar with. I'd never eaten their steak. I'd had imitation ones of this, but never had the real thing. And I pulled up at this steakhouse and I walk. I, I am a not in ministry mode. I'm, I'm tired. I'm just thinking fellowship with Pastor Isaac and eating food. And we sit down in this restaurant, and Pastor Isaac orders my steak for me. It was a seven-course meal, every course of steak. <laughs> you, can tell I like, you can tell I like meat. Here's a little aside. I, I live just up the road from a farm, and I went and saw the farmer last week. And he had a two-day orphaned lamb. He was just so small. And I picked him up. I'm like, he's so adorable. And I showed Charlotte. And I'm like, look, at this is lamb. And she goes, yum, yum. <laughs> she doesn't speak English, but she knows what good meat is. <laughs> yum, yum. The waiter, the waiter, he orders. So he orders my steak. And the waiter comes out. And he puts the steak down in front of me. And I hear the Lord say, would you ask him to join you in the giving thanks of the food? Now, I, I'm not an evangelist. I, you know, I want to say grace with people that I don't know. I just want to eat my steak, you know. And I reach out and I hold the waiter's hand without asking him about grace. And just hold, we're just holding hands. And he looks at me like, I should have said I'm from California. This is normal. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, would you just join us in the giving thanks to the food? And I intend on saying a very fast prayer because my steak's going cold. And I said, Father, thank you for this food. Thank you for this restaurant. Thank you for this day. And I thank you for my waiter. And I go to say in Jesus' name. And I went to say it, but before I could get there, he starts manifesting wildly. And he's holding my hand and he's jerking my arm up and down. My arm's going all, it wasn't me manifesting, it was him manifesting under the power of God. And he starts going like this. 
and then he falls out under the power of God and he falls under the table and he starts howling like howling like a baby he's just under the he's just sobbing like so everybody in the whole restaurant heard him he's just like screaming and crying I don't I don't know what to do so I just extended grace a little longer and I turned to Pastor Isaac, and I didn't say anything, but I looked at him as to say, is this normal in Japan? <laughs> and he gave, me a look, he gave me the glare back as if to say, you did it, you fix it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not meaning to sound, so I just, I'm praying a little longer, and I'm not meaning to sound carnal, but my steak's going cold. And the man, the waiter gets on his knees and he's kneeling beside me and he's shaking and howling. And I said, a nice, clear, loud voice, I said, in Jesus' name, amen. In other words, <laughs> go away. <laughs> and I put my hand on his shoulder and I ushered him to the kitchen. And I turned to Pastor Isaac and I said, Pastor Isaac, what do I do now? And he goes, I don't know, but you better think quick because here comes my steak. <laughs> uh, this, this waiter doesn't know, he doesn't know we're pastors. He knows nothing, right? Apart from we said grace. And he's standing there in front of me. And I said, my friend, did you need prayer? And he goes, hey! <laughs> And I said, what do you need prayer for? And he said, my wife and I cannot conceive a baby. He said, would you pray for that? I said, yes. I said, come here. And he comes back around to my left. Pastor Isaac's here. I'm in the middle. There's a lady pastor on this side. And he squeezed in between us there. Put our hand on his shoulder. And I said, did you know that babies are God's idea? He says, how do you know that? I said, because the Bible says, go forward and multiply. I, I am politically incorrect, and I just don't care. And I didn't tell him this, but I say this, to the, I say this to the church everywhere I go. It does not say, go forward and subtract. I don't, I don't care what you think of me. I am pro-life. But it needs to come with great compassion. There's, there's hurting mums out there that need the love of God. And just because they've gone through something that's against God's heart, it doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It's got to come with love and it's got to be dealt with compassion. And I said, babies are God's idea. And he goes, they are. And I said, because the Bible says, go forth and multiply. And I looked at him and I said, but my friend... I said, can I give you some advice? And he goes, hoi. I said, she ain't going to get pregnant when you're at work. I said, I believe in the immaculate conception, but not for you. I said, go home. Get her done. He walks me to the restaurant door. 
we had, we finished dinner, obviously, and he walks me to the restaurant door. This is not Japanese culture. He goes, would you just hug me? He burst into tears and sobbed. And I said, here's my email. I want to see photos of the baby. <laughs> thought I'd better clarify that just in case some of you went somewhere else. I want to see photos of the baby. Nine months later, I'm walking the streets of Salzburg, Austria one night. I just finished preaching at a Gothic Catholic church. I love it. Gargoyles in the corner watching you. I'm like, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm just not intimidated by that stuff. There's another church, a whole front row of warlocks. I'm like, just love it. It just doesn't bother me. You know why? Because the devil is not the tormentor. He's the tormented. We're the tormentor. Mark's, Mark 5, go read it sometime. I implore you that you do not torment me, he said to Jesus. We've got it all around the wrong way. So I'm walking the streets of Salzburg and my phone, I'm looking in a baby's clothes store and I saw this cute thing and I'm like, I'm going to buy that for my grandkids. I don't have any, but my kids are not even married yet. It's like, by faith, I'm going to buy that for my grandkids. <laughs> and my phone bings in my pocket and I open it up and it's him and he goes, Chris, we had a baby last night. And I said, I'm going to fly. I'm going to fly to Japan, and I'm going to give you a present. And I flew from Salzburg to Japan to take him that present that I saw on that shop that I went back the next morning, bought it, flew to Japan to give it to him. I said, I'm going to come find you at your steakhouse. I was hoping for another steak. You know. <laughs> he goes, no, I'm going to find you. Where will you be? And I said, well, I'll, I'll be at church preaching. He goes, I've never been to church. Am I allowed to come? I'm like, oh, yeah. He walks into church, sees me burst into tears. He goes, I've never been in a church in my life. He said, where do I sit? And I'm like, next to me on the front row, reserved seat. He goes, really? Wow. Sits on the front row, give a salvation altar call. First hand. And I said, and bless you, I see you over there. And he puts his hand up again. I'm like, I gotcha. And I see you over there. And he puts it up again. I'm like, I gotcha. And I see you over there. He puts it up again. I'm like, I gotcha. And you, and you, and he puts it up. He put his hand up 13 times that morning. And then he stands up in front of the whole congregation and he goes, I just need that Jesus. See, because it's his goodness that brings us to repentance. We're going we're gonna to close this morning. That story of the steakhouse man is an apprehended identity. And the story of Beverly is in, in Positioned, the one that was healed of um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Incidentally, she was the worst 1% that they'd ever seen in the United Kingdom. I got a before and an after letter from the doctor. The before letter says Beverly needs to be institutionalized for the safety of the public and herself. 
the follow-up letter says, I reviewed Beverly today, and Beverly is essentially back to her normal self. I cannot scientifically or medically explain what happened, apart from to say that she got prayed for by a minister in California, and she is essentially back to her normal self. Beverly has been dismissed from my clinic, but ever she feels the need to come back, my door is always open for her. That's the letter from the doctor. I think I, think I put the letter from the doctor in the or portion of it in the, in the book. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I, I, want to, I want to challenge us as a church. Now, whether I'm, I'm talking the church. Whether you're from this church or you're from another church, we're all the church, right? We're just one church. I want to challenge us as a church is that the only way that we're going to see a mighty healing revival, I'm not, I'm not a Calvinist. I definitely don't lean with Calvinistic roots. I love the history. I, I, I refuse to sweep the lack of breakthrough under the carpet of God's sovereignty and say, well, I guess he's sovereign. I don't know. I guess he's sovereign. I just, I just cannot live like that. I just refuse. And I want to throw a challenge out to us this morning. The, the challenge would be this, is that we learn to get a greater compassion for the sick. that we begin to see the sick from the eyes of Jesus. Because we're, we're not going to see the sick healed unless it bothers somebody enough to go after the sick. We all sit there and we say, we want a healing revival, but we're not prepared to pay for, pray for the sick. It's like, I can come back in five years and nothing would have changed. If this message is a message that you feel like, God, I, I want a greater compassion for the sick, I want you to stand. I, I'm gonna, I want to pray for you, and then we're going to pray for the sick. And the, the ministry for the sick is not going to take long, because it shouldn't take long. We're just going to go after mass healing and get as many of you healed as we can in about five minutes. Does that sound good? I think we've just become way too charismatic about it. <laughs> it's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to, we're going to minister to the sick corporately before anyone leaves. And uh, we're just going to see what happens this morning. Amen. By the way, is Sarah here? Young Sarah? Where are you, Sarah? Someone bought me a photo this morning. Where are you? Oh, she's... Oh, my gosh. I, I cried during worship. I mean, Sarah was not, Sarah was not meant to live. And uh, I just... I, I, I remember praying for her. I mean, she, what is she, 12, 13? 13. And uh, someone just bought me her photo this morning. I'm just like, do you know I had Sarah's photo as a baby in my Bible for years and years and years? You're a grandmother. Do you know I actually opened my Bible quickly this morning thinking, I think it's actually still in there, but it, it's the old photo of her wrapped in a blanket. Uh, 
I would like to see that photo. I don't have that one. I have the baby one when she's when she's just born, but I don't have the one of me holding her and to see to see that there. I'm like, I just wept of how good he is. And I was stirring. I thank you that song this morning. I thank you. I thank you. I'm just saying, I'm thank you, Father, for Sarah. And it's been the most unusual season because it's been a season, as I, I don't know, I can't quite put my finger on why this is happening, but it's been a season where there's all these very old miracles that people are coming to me and telling me, like one after the other. Just so many of them get to Switzerland. I land at the airport. A lady comes up to me and said, you prayed for me. In two, this, is last, this is this year. 2009, you prayed for me. I had two months to live in lymphoma cancer. You prayed for me. I went back to the doctor the next day, and they found no trace in my body. But in the meantime, I'd been to Switzerland 14 times and never heard of it. And suddenly, 14 years later, I hear the testimony. You know, th this one, you know, just testimony after testimony of just old, old. God's just reminding me of some very old things that go back, you know, 15, 20 years of incredible miracles. So that was just so timely. I just, I'd lost it in worship this morning. Can you give Sarah a hug from me? Tell her I so wanted to, I was looking for her during worship. I'm like, I just wanted to squeeze her. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I thank you that your heart is for our nation. Father, I thank you, God, that your heart is for the sick. Father, your heart is for the lost. Your heart is for the destitute. Your heart is for the broken. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would increase us, that you would increase each one of us, Father, with compassion for the lost, that you would increase us for a passion for the sick. Lord, that we would see an upgrade of the miraculous in the state of Ohio. Father, I pray, God, that we'd see such an upgrade of the miraculous in the state of Ohio, that Ohio would become a safe nation, it would become a safe state, that people would look at the state of Ohio and say, you want a miracle, you need to go to Ohio. Like this would be, it'll be seen as a, as a lighthouse to the states of the United States. There'll be extraordinary, extraordinary miracles that would flow out of this place. Father, this will be a place that would be known as the simplicity of the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, here's what we're going to do. You ready? I want everybody to grab a partner, someone you did not come with. Everybody partner up with someone. Make sure nobody misses out. Let no one miss out here. Right, if, you, if you don't have a partner, raise your hand. We're going to get everybody paired up. Right, raise your hand nice and high if you do not have a partner. Right, look around. Look around at people with your hands up. Okay, keep your hand up. We've got a young lady right here in the middle. Do you need a partner? Let's, let's find someone else just so I can lead this. It's a little, yeah. Okay. We've got, raise your hand if you don't have a partner. Okay, we've got a couple over here. You obviously know each other, do you? Do you know each other? Okay, yeah. Well, let's, can, can you just jumble up around over there so you can get... Sean, do you have someone? That, there's, I, I think there's... Do, do you have someone now? Okay, raise your hand if you don't have someone. Okay, there you go, Sean. Back there, buddy. All right, has everybody got someone? 
Right, here's what we're going to do. I don't know how you normally do it, but would you just flow with me this morning? This is just how I've just been seeing some extraordinary fruit. I just got invited a couple of weeks ago to this, this meeting just north of my house, about 30 minutes north of my house. It was full of old people. I mean, the average age is like 80, right? Uh, and there's only, only like, there's probably, probably 80, 80 plus late, old late ladies and men there. We just did this. 90% of them got healed, just like that. I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to start an old people ministry. <laughs> I, I don't have a prayer model. Right? I don't believe in a 10-step prayer model. I got one step, right? It's called Jesus, get her done, right? <laughs> but if being, if being polite is a model, then why don't you just turn to each other and introduce names? Find out who you're partnered up with. All right, all right. You ready? You're each going to take a turn, right? So work out who's leading, who's going to start. If you're the person that's starting, you're about to ask the other person, what miracle do you need? Right? Now, now, now if you're the person receiving, right, you're both going to take a turn at this, so you're both going to be doing this. You're going to tell the person what you need. You are not going to tell them how it happened, how miserable you are, or how long you've had it. Just Tell them what you need, right? So this is going to take about five seconds. Ask them now. Go. All right. All right. You ready? Now ask the other person, what do you need? All right. Let me get your attention back up here. It's just called being polite. Now, the, the one that's leading, right, I, I kind of detest like just putting hands on people, right? I mean, I think it's polite that we ask, all right? It's just, I think it's just politeness. So here's what I want you to do. Whoever's leading, I want, if it's appropriate, I want you to say, because you know what the condition is, right? So if it's appropriate, say, hey, can I place my hand on you, on the affected body part? If it's not, just say, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Okay, just whoever's leading, go, ask them that. All right, you ready? Now, it's, it's the, now we, we're not, when this morning, we're not asking God to come and do something. He's already done it. All right, from heaven's perspective, your miracle is a done deal. Jesus never asked the Father to come and heal someone, but he often did lift his eyes to heaven and thank the Father. 
raising Lazarus. Father, I thank you. Lifted his eyes in thanksgiving. So you're going to turn and you're going to minister to that person for about 10 or 15 seconds. You're going to pray the answer and you're not going to say, Lord, if it be your will. Right? That's for the church that doesn't, that's for the confused church. Right? You just, you're going to pray the answer. You're going to pray a bold, short, 10-second prayer of faith. Go. Just command that thing off and command that pain to go. All right, finish your prayer. Now switch to the other person. Pray for the other person real quick right now. All right, finish, wrap, wrap it up. Now let me, let me have your attention up here. On the count of three, if there's some way that you're able to test it, I want you to test it right now. One, two, three. Begin to test it if you can. All right, let me have your attention up here. You ready? If you know that something either happened or happening, raise your hand. Raise it nice and high. Nice and high so you can see your hands. Look at that. Many, many, many hands. Okay. Can we, can we do this one more time, right? Now, you're going to pray for them again. If they haven't been healed, I want you to pray again. You're not going to pray harder. Right? It's not like, oh, I've got to get serious now. No, we rest our way into the miracle. Right? Pray the answer. Minister again. Minister to each other again. Go. Make sure you swap to the other person. Switch to the other person. Just release the answer. Pray the answer. See them from the eyes of Jesus. He doesn't see the problem. He sees the answer. There's no miracle that's bigger. Cancer's not bigger than a sore finger. Just release the answer. It's the prayer of faith. All right. Let me have your attention back up here. If you know that something's happened this morning, I want you to raise your hand nice and high, right across this room. We've got lots of, but nice and high. You know something happened in your body this morning. Raise your hand. Raise it, raise it nice and high, right across this room. Look at that. Many, 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 many hands. Right. Here's, here's my closing thought. You ready? I, I do truly believe that, that many of the miracles that I find out about don't happen right then. They happen as they go. 
And I think that with the gravest mistake that we make as a church is that we pray, and you, let's say you've got pain, and it's like, well, oh, pain's still there. And you walk out and you go, well, I guess it wasn't my day. Right? Or we walk out and we say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will for me, or I guess it wasn't my timing. That's, that's not the gospel. And I, I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm just staggered at the story of Beverly. I mean, I didn't know about that Thanksgiving part until eight years on, how she gave thanks for three days. And on the third day, everything was broken. The, the post-traumatic stress disorder, the disassociate identity disorder, the body morphic disorder, the satanic ritual abuse, the flashbacks, the suicide attempts, everything was gone on the third day. Just like she, she just gave thanks. Now here's a thought, and, and if the worship team can come, because we're going we're gonna to finish singing that song in a minute of, I, I thank you. If God, if God is outside of time, which he is, Jim said that this morning, I think it was, I think it was you. If God is outside of time, which he is, at what point should we be giving thanks for the miracle? Like, I mean, are we only going to give thanks when it happens? Because I think if we're only going to give thanks when we see the manifestation of it, we've actually already missed it. We should be giving thanks if God is outside of time as if the miracle's already happened. Can we lift a great big shout of thanksgiving up to the Lord? Come on, Jesus. Come on, let's give him a great big shout. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. You know, you, you, may be, you may be here this morning and maybe you've got cancer. Or you've got an incurable disease. Don't walk out of here and go, I didn't feel nothing. Neither did Beverly. There's a lady in 2018, and for you that like just like horrible pictures, come and see me. But in 2018, there's a lady I bumped into, and on the 1st of June, she was diagnosed of a, a six-inch tumor in her descending colon and given weeks to live. I met her on the 22nd of June. She's, she's about 80. The 25th of June, I got the internal photos of the tumors. They put a camera where a camera should not be allowed to go. <laughs> I got the, all the internal photos. I was just in Perth a couple of weeks ago, Australia, and I had lunch with a, um, a top specialist cancer surgeon, and he showed, we're eating lunch, and he, shows, he says, show me the photos. And I'm like, we're eating lunch. He goes, I don't care. I just look at them over food. I mean, he's looking at tumor photos over his food. He's like, I'm like, it doesn't bother me either. That's why my last name's Gore. <laughs> 22nd of June, she gets prayed for. The 25th of June, she goes back for a follow-up appointment. They put a camera where a camera shouldn't go, and she's got a brand new bow. I, I, got, I, got, I got photos for both. I got the before and the after, 25 days apart. I went back a year later. 
saw the lady. And she said, that night, she said, not only did I get healed, she said, my granddaughter was here and was unable to conceive. And she got pregnant that night. And I, so 12 months later, there's grandma, daughter, great-granddaughter, and great-great-granddaughter, all, 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 all there together. I, you remind me, I'll show you the photos. I've got the photos on my iPad of the before and after. Come on, let's give them one more big shout of thanks. Oh, man, what a blessing. We're going to uh, end in just a second with that thank you song. But um, I want to ha- yeah, take a chance to just give them to Chris Gore. And so I'm going to just...